Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today, we got a Q&A. And uh, for those of you who are returning listeners, thank you for being here once again. If you haven't less left us a, a rating and review, please go do so. It literally takes 10 seconds on Spotify, maybe 30 seconds on iTunes, but it's really easy. So if you appreciate the free content, please do us a huge favor. Helps us grow the show. Um, for those of you who have never been here before, um, welcome. I, I, I always think like, should I say, my name's Cody McBroom, but then again, I'm like, I just, you just said it in the intro. Did I? It's Cody McBroom and my oh. co-host. I guess I go on such autopilot with that. I literally don't even know what I say. Yeah. I black out during the I'm your trip. host, Cody McBroom, and he is my co- yeah. co-host. Co-pilot. <laughs> <laughs> He's navigating me through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for being here if you're new. Uh, listen to the whole thing, and if you like it, share it with a friend and leave us a rating review, please. It helps us grow the show and get this free content to more people. All right, man, my uh, co-pilot. Let's get after it. Let's get to the We got some one. good questions today, and we're going to start it off today with one coming from Katie. It says, I would love to know what personal development slash business books Cody is currently reading, listening to, or the last one he has consumed. I would love to know some of the personal development business books that have the biggest impact on you. I love the show. Thank you. Um, we'll start with uh, what I'm currently reading, what I just read. Um, so next on my plate is the Ed Milet book that I ruined for you. <laughs> the Power of One More. Yeah. Travis got me as a gift and I went and ordered it right before he did. Um, I mean, you're not getting any more. I have literally a stack of books I've never read because like when somebody tells me a book is good, if I, if I genuinely like either A, respect the person or B, just I truly trust their opinion on a book, I just order it. Yeah. I literally get on my phone and order it. Um, <clears throat> so uh, what is it? The Power of One More. Yep. That's next on my list. Uh, currently, I am reading uh, the, and I just finished part one. Now I'm reading part two. They're two separate books. Uh, it's called The Greatest Salesman in the World, I believe it is, um, by uh, the author's name is O.G. Mandino. Hmm. Really cool name. Yeah. Um, really, really old author. Like, these books have been around for fucking ever. Um, I originally heard of him when I read The Greatest Miracle Ever? Greatest miracle of the world? I don't fucking know. Mm. Um, but they're all like, uh, they're like basically business-ish books, but they're stories where essentially somebody goes through a fucking miracle or whatever it may be. Um, he tends to like s somehow translate like uh, God into it. So there's like a little bit of a religious feel to them sometimes. But not, like, overwhelming. It's not about the Bible or anything. Uh, but really, really good. Um, the first one, I just, like, I love stories. You know, that's why I like The Alchemist so much. That's why I like The Leader Who Had No Title, The Go-Giver. Um, Ferrari. The, the Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. They're all stories. They're parables. So they're fictional stories, but they provide very powerful lessons for life and business. Um, it's just so much easier to read most of the time. Uh, so that's what I'm reading right now. And uh, the last book I read... Uh, was either Giftology or Never Lose a Client again, something like that. Um, they're the only books titled in those ways. I just went through like three or four different books back to back. There was another one before that that I can't, uh, The Retention something. Um, but essentially they were all just books about uh, giving gifts to clients, like literally just how to make clients feel better, how to make, uh, how to give better gifts, how to uh, send better appreciation, literally just to clients. Oh. Um, really good books, just really just insights for our team, um, and a lot of which I'm going to be going over next week when they're all here um, as we're recording this. But the books that have impacted me the most over time uh, are probably going to be, um, I mean, I already said The Go-Giver and The Leader Who Had No Title Really, the Go Giver is. It, I mean, there's so many that have the Go Giver has. It was really influential to me because it was the first introduction to like kind of nudge me to focus more on giving without any expectation of anything in return. Um, and I think once you commit to being a Go Giver, you just feel so much better doing it that you stop worrying about the ROI. You just yeah. give because that's who you are. Um, 
so that was a really big one for me. Uh, the leader who had no title was another really big one, which is another story. It's by Robin Sharma, same guy that wrote the monk who sold his Ferrari. Um, but it is about essentially, I posted a quote on my story that is from Robin the other day, and it might be from the book, but essentially it's, it said something to the effect of, um, your title means nothing. The contribution that you put forth means everything. So the story is about a man who he runs the entire corporation, but you would never know because he doesn't lead based on his title. His title doesn't mean anything to him. It's his contribution every day and the actions he takes and the way he leads people. Really, really powerful book. Um, The Alchemist is a book I've read probably like, honestly, like 10 times. Every once in a while when I'm at a point in my life uh, where I just feel like I need a little bit of direction um, and uh, in, in kind of, I don't know, guidance on like what the next step is. Uh, like, like Travis was just pointing to, I, I have a, a tattoo on my hand that says Maktub and that means it was written. So basically it's alchemist. Like, yeah, yep. exactly. So on one hand it says Maktub and on the other hand it says 1992, which is just my birthday. But essentially it's like it was written is essentially it's, it's a, it's a way of saying basically like everything that's going to happen in my life is supposed to happen. Like it's already written. It's yep. a story. I'm f- fulfilling that story and I'm just, I have to trust the way the story plays out. Um, but that book is really, really powerful, really good. I actually just recently read it. Uh, and I think it was, you know, I think that's why I'm reading the, the OG Mandino books. Cause they kind of have that feel too. Um, I was talking to Shannon about this the other day. I think being 30 this weekend, like knowing that I'm about to turn 30, it's just, I don't feel different necessarily, but now that it's getting closer, I started really thinking about a lot of things in life. Cause it's, I mean, it's a big number to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That that was a that's a book that I just recently read again. Um, Obstacle is the way, and ego is the enemy are tie. Those two by Ryan Holiday were unbelievable books to just keep marching forward. I don't know. Those are those are really powerful. Uh, what are the books? Turn Pro and was, The was, War of Art. Yep, is it? Um, I was the one I was going to say. Yeah, turn, those Turn Pro. Stephen Pressfield, I believe, is the author. Those are really really powerful books as well. Um, Pressfield, yeah. Extreme Ownership by Jocko. Very, very powerful. I mean, there's so many. Top three? No, no shit. Like, I, I can't give you a top three because they all, like, the thing about books is, to me, the way I, I look at them is sometimes I read through the whole book, especially if it's a story, but a lot of times those books that are, like, Extreme Ownership, um, I haven't read The Power of One More by Ed Milet yet, but that would be one of these books I would consider a book that I do this with, and sometimes I don't even finish the book. I go until... The, the purpose behind what is written in the book really fucking sinks in with me, and I close it and I go on to the next one. With a story, I just got to know how it ends, so it's yeah. a little bit different. But a lot of the books that you know are more business-esque, uh, even Extreme Ownership, it uses a lot of uh, his stories in war and then translates them to uh, ownership. But at a certain point, you realize that everything's your fault, everything's your responsibility. Like that's the big key of the book. In your life, if you want to be a, leaner who, a leader who takes Extreme Ownership, everything is your fault. Everything is up to you. Everything is your responsibility. And if you act like that, things are going to go much better in your life. So once I got really that, like let that sink into my head, I was like, okay, close it, move on to the next one. Um, So there's a lot of books like that. uh, And most of the books have something to do with who I am as an individual showing up as a leader, not necessarily business, right? Because I mean, the copywriting book, the ClickFunnels book, the Traffic Secrets book, like there's so many business books that are strategic, that you kind of refer back to and you're like, I need to remember how to do certain things uh, for marketing and stuff like that. But personal development, growth, leadership like that, like those are probably the, the biggest ones for me. Totally. So it's like 12 for you. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right, we'll move on to the next one. It comes from, well, you got some more of that? Oh, well, I'm just like, did I forget anything? Oh, The One Thing is not up here, but that's a, an amazing book. You already it, said that. I didn't. The One Thing? Mm-mm. Okay. I said the alchemist, the go giver. Go giver is yeah. what I thought you were talking about. Yeah. Um, if you if you haven't read, or if you were aren't, if you're an entrepreneur too, uh, Gary the, the e, well that's a good one too. But the e myth is the one that I was gonna. Um, whenever I re, I used to see e myth and I thought it was like something about like internet. You see e yep. book, you think like that, but it's Naturally. the entrepreneur myth. Ah. Um, basically, for all of you control freak entrepreneurs who think you're the best at everything and that you should do everything and you have to control every like read that book and it'll teach you to let go of some shit and let other people support you in your business endeavors and you'll grow 10 times more. Totally. That book was really eye opening for me to be like, Oh, okay. So there's, 
there's a lot to uh, there's a lot of benefit to having a team and having this team who has all these different responsibilities and everything's interconnected instead of trying to do everything yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. All right. We'll move on to the next one. Is from Brianna. It says, "Afraid to take initiative." No, that's not what it says. She <laughs> says, "I'm afraid to start intuitive eating after accounting macros for a year, even though I know so so much about food. I am scared, but tracking has effed me up mentally. What should I do?" Ooh. Okay. So, um, basically, how how do you get into intuitive eating when you're afraid to do so? I mean, that's the gist of it, right? Like, um, I mean, this is a cop out, but get a coach. It. I, I really think the accountability aspect of it is the biggest thing. Like being able to voice what you're going through when you're trying to navigate through this is one of the most powerful things. It's one of the, one of the most powerful things about therapy is sitting down with somebody else and being able to talk about what you're going through and what's going on in your head and for them to just listen. And then every once in a while I'll ask you a question, and get you to dig deeper, right? It's, it's just verbalizing things. Yeah. So part of a, having a coach is being able to do that and venting to your coach essentially and then allowing them to understand because they've been through it or they've gone through it with other clients and then kind of give you um, ways to navigate through it right because everybody's different it's very hard for me to say like oh just do xyz and you'll be fine but ultimately it's a slow process it takes a lot of communication with somebody who you can connect with and respect um, and can hold you accountable on a regular basis Um, And then I I think you just got to pay attention to specific, like when you go into the intuitive side of eating and you're, or you're trying to get out of tracking too many things, you have to remove a few things. You have to remove some data points and implement some data points. And what I mean by that is like, you can't go from tracking everything to tracking nothing because that that's not how you're wired. You're tracking everything because you're an analytical person and you want to see numbers, data, feedback. So track results. things. Results, exactly. So track things that are going to ensure that you're getting results. PRs in the gym, performance on the rower, a run, whatever it may be. Um, the other side of it is, is intuitive eating is designed as a way to maintain, not progress. So if you're at a place where you're like, I want to lose more weight, but I have to remove tracking you're going about it wrong. You have to go, I need to stop trying to lose weight for a while so that I can remove track. Like you you have to be happy with where you're at if you're going to consistently and and successfully intuitively eat. Because intuitive eating is designed as a way to, after you reach your result, how do I intuitively eat this way or X, Y, Z way in order to maintain the result I already have? Macros are a tool to get you there. Intuitive eating is what you do after you've already got there and you understand how to eat properly. Just making educated decisions. Yeah, but... And usually for most people, they can't do that until they track some stuff first. Um, for an X amount of enough time. Yeah. But ultimately, I think that it, intuitive eating is literally something that was, if you go look into intuitive eating, it was designed as a way to maintain your physique. So make sure if you're going into that path, it, it, you're doing so with the mindset of, I'm happy with where I'm at. I just want to maintain this intuitively. And if that's the case, you should track some things like health, sleep, biofeedback, stress, uh, performance in the gym, stuff like that. Stop tracking your weight, your measurements, your macros, things like that. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's ultimately, it's, it's, it's like slowly removing some things and then slowly just getting more intuitive. But like the biggest thing there is just accountability and communication. There's no, there's no like, uh, there's really no like roadmap for yeah. it. You know, everybody's different. So um, for some people, it's like if we were to create a roadmap for some people, it's going from tracking macros every single day to just tracking calories and protein, then to just tracking calories every few days, then to just writing your food on a fucking notepad or just focusing on, all right, going forward, we're just going to make sure that each feeding has a handful of protein in it. You know what I mean? Like you can literally just regress the same way you would progress somebody from I know nothing about nutrition. I eat out fast food all the time from there to tracking macros and losing weight and going right back into that where it's like, you're just not tracking anymore. Yeah. This might be a broad question, but what are you looking for when you make that next step? So when you go from tracking just calories and protein to just calories a couple times a week, what are you looking at to make that progression downwards? Um, what do you mean? So like, like what do you want your client to be able to do in order to track less does that make sense like 
say you're tracking full time yeah. and you're saying, okay, we want to move towards intuitive eating. So if the next step down is just tracking calories and protein, you're like, okay, we'll just do that for now. Mm. And then instead of when do you decide, okay, let's now let's just track yeah. calories. I think it's just, and this is where it's hard because this is where coaching helps because you have communication there. It's like having a conversation. Hey, on a scale of one to 10, how confident do you feel? Mm. You know? And then also like as a coach, I get feedback from the person of how their gym performance is going. Do they like how many did they at all or, or how many times did they say they felt bloated or, or like they over ate or like, because I'm trying to pull back today. Like if you're intuitively eating, you should feel good. Like you shouldn't be getting to the end of the day stuffed. You know what I mean? You shouldn't be like, Oh, I went a little overboard last night. Like, okay, you intuitively over ate. Yeah. So we have to figure out how to intuitively manage your intake. Um, and that's where it can be hard. Yeah. So, so it's it's feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And the feedback is always different from everybody. Totally. So cool. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next question, which comes from Courtney. It says, "Best way to get in steps outside of walks outside. Living in Arizona, summer is brutal and not possible to get outside. I feel like we had an exact same question from somebody last week. Somebody was asking about." Uh a uh, walk pad. Yeah, walk pad. <laughs> That's one of the ways you could do it. Yeah. Go get a walk pad. There you go. We looked it up. They weren't too exp- – I mean, they were like 300 400 bucks. Yeah. I think I thought they were like two grand. Oh, shit. Or, or maybe that was the on-the-wall thing. That was on-the-wall thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They were definitely more than I thought. I thought they were going to be a couple hundred bucks. But um, a walk pad, uh, you could get a bike. You could 600. get a treadmill. Like, I mean – 700. There's really no way around it. But somebody asked me on my story the other day. They were like, um, is it uh, – what did they say? It wasn't like kind of to the effect of is it acceptable, but they didn't say is it acceptable to go to the gym just to to walk on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck no. You can, I mean, first of all, you can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> like, there's no reason to uh, feel ashamed of doing anything, especially in a positive environment like a gym. Like go do whatever. Go there and just foam roll. Like I don't care. Like you're surrounding yourself with good things and uh, practicing healthy habits. So if that's the only way you can walk, great, go do it. But like that would be my advice. If I was in Arizona – I would either drive to the gym and go on the treadmill and walk and I wouldn't worry about like usually when we have a step count, it's like, hey, and I think this is why she's probably framing it this way because that seems like a very simple answer. But a lot of times when we think of step counts, it's like, okay, throughout the day, take a few more extra walks, take a walk at lunch, take a walk after dinner, take a walk in the morning because you want to accumulate steps over the day. But and you can't do that if it's just always burning ass hot because you go for a 10 minute walk and then you're sweating your ass off when you yeah. come back. Um so in that case, I would say wake up and make that one of the first things you do before it's burning hot out. Wake up and get some sunlight on your face and go for a walk. Um, and if you're sleeping in too late to do that, wake up earlier and go on a walk. It's good for you. Uh, especially getting outdoors and letting the sunlight hit you in the face, eyeballs, like your retina, actually getting that sun directly to your eyes in the morning is actually really, really helpful uh, for many things, productivity, mood, hormones, stuff like that. Totally. But... Um, after that, I don't expect somebody to go out into the burning hot throughout the day a bunch of times. So that's where I would be like, you know what? After you lift, go walk on the treadmill yeah. for 20, 30 minutes. Like it's cardio, but really you're just getting your step count on. Yep. Big deal. And also too, I know people who do this as well. Like when they want to increase their step count when they're going through phallus phase, they'll wear their step counter while they're lifting and they'll just fucking do la- Like do a set and then pace around. Steps. Come back, lift, do pace around. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can accumulate a lot more steps during a workout if you do it that way. Um yeah, that's what I would suggest. Totally. Get it's a pad. Super- I mean, you get a walking pad or whatever, but also too, if, if you're like, like I, I have an assault bike in my garage and th- I'll use that. You know what I mean? If I don't feel like walking, just get, get on a bike. It doesn't yep. matter. Exercise, exercise. Um, dude, yesterday it was, it was hilarious because I, I went out last night to, to get on the assault bike just to do some cardio at the end of the night and our detached garage has two doors mm. so you can like walk all the way through if you wanted to. I was like, oh, it's nice out. So I opened them because I'm like, I want the breeze. I want to look, look at the woods. And the sprinkler, like, turned on. And I was like, oh, it's, why would the sprinkler hit the garage door? Mm-hmm. Like, it would go, it just goes to the yard. But no, it just kept going and just blasted me. <laughs> and I, like, jumped off the assault bike and got all the garage gym stuff wet. Damn. Like, Good. Shutting that door. Does a 360. Yeah, or a one eighty or something, but it, it too too far. I didn't even look. I was I was literally doing emails on my phone, and I just got hit inside and didn't take time to see what sprinkler was getting me. But yeah, 
All right, cool. We will move on to the next one. We got one from Mary Clark. It says, do you have any tips on how to balance body dysmorphia and being fit? It can be difficult to hold myself accountable at times because I will burn out extreme with extreme tracking, but that's the only way I can hold myself accountable. During burnout, I will lose mental and physical progress. I struggle with depression and anxiety when I inevitably overwork, and when I can't bring myself to work out all the time, I can see loss of progress in the mirror. I appreciate it, and thank you in advance. Wow. A lot of these today. This is a heavy episode. Yeah. Um, okay, so man, I hate just always saying, like, get a coach, but get a coach. You, you have, like... Case in point, in your question, you literally said, I struggle to hold myself accountable. That's your biggest hint. Yeah. Don't try to hold yourself accountable because the first person to be your own worst enemy, your own worst critic, and give you the most negative feedback is yourself. So find somebody who's not going to do that. They're going to reinforce positive feedback into you every single fucking day, and that's going to be a coach who understands where you're at. The other part of this too is that I think that a lot of times the negative thoughts and stories and things that play in your head, specifically around body image issues and so on and so forth, I think they get exacerbated when it's it's just yourself because you create a level of shame. Like you create the story and then you feed into it and then you're ashamed by the story. You need somebody to step in and tell you that it's just a story, tell you that you're fine. The amount of people I've worked with over the years that will say, negative things about how they look or where they're at with their body and I I literally have to blatantly tell them they're crazy because they're extremely fit they look amazing and they're so much leaner and healthier than the average individual in America right now you know it's like you need that perspective shift um but you need it from somebody else you're not going to do it for yourself so accountability from just natural it is fortunately we're humans yeah that's just how we operate it's fucked up but it's it's reality so number one find somebody um, who's going to be able to do that for you? Uh, number two, like, I would probably lower the frequency of like some kind of uh, what is the right word? Not harsh data point tracking, but like, uh, I mean, for example, like the scale. For example, if the scale is feeding into this, stop weighing in. Right? I've had this conversation with a couple people where it's like the scale fucks with them so bad, and I'm like, hey, what is our goal right now? Is it fat loss? No muscle growth or anything like that not really i mean kind of just want health you know maintain whatever get rid of the scale we don't need it if you're not losing weight and you're not unhealthy what the fuck's the point of it because yeah. it's just creating this mythical number that you think needs to be maintained yeah. it just fucks with you yeah. get rid of it um no point usually that will distort what you see in the mirror as well because if you step on the scale and it's heavier than what you think it should be or what you want to see because of this false narrative in your head then you look in the mirror and then you think you look fat when you don't because the number fucked with the image you create in your head which sounds absolutely insane but it's absolutely true and I know this because it's happened to me it's happened to the clients I've had and that's part of again having an account having accountability from a coach where they've been in your shoes and they can talk to you about it Uh, I think human beings need external feedback they need that uh like i mean it's the same reason why we need companionship it's the same reason why we need tribalism um we need to be a part of a community a culture things like that um it's a fact i mean there's a really really good book by uh uh, sebastian younger i think his name is called tribe it's either tribe or tribes but um i think it's i think it's tribes with s but because there's another book by seth godden called tribe or tribes Tribes is Seth Godin. Okay. So Tribe is by the other guy. Um, and it talks a lot about this. As human beings, we need to be a part of some small inner circle. We need to have relationships. We need we can't be alone. We can't it just it doesn't work like that. So if you're bottling up and creating all these stories and you don't have any outlet to express to, it's just gonna manifest and get worse and worse and worse. And then you're feeding into your I mean, you're just pouring fuel into the fire. You know what I mean? So um, like, yeah, of course, like you should probably not diet. You should probably weigh in less. You should probably not track macros so much. There's certain things that you could probably get rid of. Um, but I think those are very generic black and white answers that don't really do your situation justice. Cause I've had clients literally specifically had clients who were on antidepressants who were that far into this and tracking macros and learning flexible dieting actually helped them. And I've had other clients who it's like, we need to get rid of tracking, you know? So it it truly depends on the person, but 
it takes, I mean, it takes an in-depth conversation to figure that out. Definitely. You know, so I'm not going to be able to answer that over a podcast and tell you what to do, but I think you need to find. Schedule a free call. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> cool. All right. We will move on to the next one. It comes from Thane Goats. It says, what's your opinion on gl- glycogen formulas like first form ignition? I would probably call them glucose formulas, but I get what you mean. Carbohydrate formulas, essentially. Um, so first form has quite a few, um, and you can check all these out at firstform.com slash daily coaching method. What did you say you'd call it? Glycogen? I said glucose. Oh. Glycogen is what is stored in the muscle tissue. Yeah. It comes from glucose. So essentially, like, a, you eat carbs. Carbs are glucose, literally. But a type of carb is glucose. There's fructose. There's there's different types of carbohydrate. But, like, the, the type that's going to get stored as muscle glycogen is glucose. So we eat carbohydrates. We take the glucose from those specific carbohydrates. It gets converted into glycogen, and that glycogen gets stored somewhere usually muscle tissue, if it's a certain type, or the liver, wherever it needs to go, Um, blood glucose, so on and so forth. So the purpose of a carbohydrate uh, formula or supplement, like the one he's talking about, ignition, is to replenish your glycogen stores as you are training. Now, I think that there's there's a few things here to consider. Number one, what kind of training are you doing? I would say glute, like, True glycogen depletion during training, it's not really going to happen unless you're training for hours on end or you are, uh, which is usually like marathon stuff. This is why it's really important for uh, people who are running hours in a marathon or half marathon or any kind of like endurance sport. They would be drinking this as they do the run because you are literally burning so much glucose as you are going. You're, you're constantly depleting your glycogen throughout hours of time, so you need to keep replenishing it, especially because people who typically run that far, they're really lean as well. Um, so they don't have like tons of stored reserves. And if you look at them as well, they're usually not jacked, right? So like if you think of, of a bodybuilder, they have a lot of muscle glycogen stored. So they're not going to deplete as quickly totally. unless they're stage ready. Um, but nonetheless, uh, there's that aspect of it. The other aspect of it is potentially possible without even actually ingesting it. Like we've talked about them before, they've done like artificial uh, carbohydrates. So like they just, it's like sludge. It's like zero calorie sludge that tastes like sugar or carbs. And they would have participants have that or regular glucose and they would still see the same performance enhancements. And this is when they're doing it right before or the beginning during a training session. Same thing with like mouth swooshing. Put some Gatorade in your mouth, full sugar Gatorade, swoosh it around, spit it out. That's been shown to improve performance. So there's a link between glucose essentially hitting your taste buds and the brain and the neurotransmitters and everything producing to help your performance when it starts to get that signal of glucose or glycogen coming in, even though you're not swallowing it, digesting it, absorbing it, storing it. Just Um, the contact. Exactly. Because most of, like my training session today, I'm going to be primarily using glycogen that I've was from yesterday. You know what I mean? Like it's been stored. I've been consuming it. Oh. Because it's a glycogen depletion and replenishment is a 24 to 48 hour process. And it's, a, it's essentially ongoing because if we're having multiple meals a day, like we're constantly depleting and replenishing because our brain's using it, our blood's using it, our muscles are using it. Everything is, you know, our nervous system. So um, if you look at it that way, one would be like, well, there's really no point in it. The formula. Anything. Yeah. Unless you're doing hours of running, there's really no point because you're not going to deplete your glycogen unless you're stage shredded. Again, so I don't know what kind of training he's doing. But for most people who are just strength training and stuff, yep. it could be considered pointless. Now, the other part of it is, is if we know the mouth swooshing or the artificial part helps, we might want to have something. Um, does it need to actually contain carbohydrates or does it need to just be like zero calorie Gatorade or crystallite or, or theirs was like goopy. So there's more texture to it. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I'd have to look up the study again. Maybe, but the thing I will say is there was one research study way back that I'm aware of that had one group didn't have anything, one group had amino acids, and actually maybe one group had just amino acids, but one of the groups had aminos and highly branched cyclic dextrin. So like uh, carbohydrate, that's kind of what these formulas typically use. It's it's better than dextrose or waxy maize and a lot of these other ones because highly branched cyclic dextrin just passes through the intestine, gets absorbed and digested rapidly. It's way easier on your gut, um, and it's just going to do the job quicker. That being said, um, that group saw a, a better 
uh, muscle protein breakdown and cortisol reduction. So essentially they recovered and built more muscle. Cross-sectional area on their quad is what they actually examined. There hasn't really been anything to like re, uh, re-show that. So a lot of people are very spectacle or skeptical. Skeptical. There you go. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking <laughs> of. Um, but Eric Helms actually shared this the other day, and it w- I was actually pretty excited to see it because they just did another study. So I'll read it. Um, I haven't dug in the study, so I can't really say for sure. Um, it, the study is called The Ergogenic Effects of Acute Carbohydrate Feeding on Resistance Exercise Performance, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. So this is looking at a lot of different things. And essentially, they actually showed that um, if you are training uh, like a bodybuilder for longer than 45 minutes and or uh, your workout has is consisting of at least 8 to 10 sets, which, for example, today I have a pull day and I'll have the first exercise has four, and then I have three, and then three, so that's 10, and I'm only halfway through. I haven't even touched. That's just lats. I'm doing 10 sets today of just lats. Then I have seven sets of traps, and then have six sets of biceps. So I'm crushing 10 sets. I'm doing like almost 20 sets, right? Um, so obviously Goodness. this applies. Yeah. Uh, now, they showed, uh, essentially, there was a group, they looked at people who were fasted, and they saw muscle growth when they just, and to me, that's obvious. If yeah. you're going to the gym fasted, you should probably have some. So that makes sense. But they even showed uh, the other group as well um, actually showed that um, it allows for greater volume. So basically what, what they found is that it might not be anything to do with, from what I can tell, I got to look more into it. I want to do some content on it once I've really dug through it and talked to Brandon about it. But essentially, I, I believe what it's saying is because we're not worried so much about depletion. Like I'm not going to deplete and replenish all that all my glycogen in that session unless, again, if I was five days out from uh, being on stage or a photo shoot different because I'm depleted but the carbohydrates coming in during the session improved performance and faster recovery because it's a fast digesting source therefore uh, I was able to do more volume Mm. if I do more volume I grow more so is it really to do with depleting and replenishing maybe not but if it's improving performance and my performance is higher so my volume is higher and I end up building more muscle because of the carbohydrates that's a win totally so and that's a brand new meta analysis so I was pumped to see that um so that would be kind of the purpose like going back to the whole point of the question what's the point of the the supplement if you're an endurance athlete it's because after Two hours into your run and you still got a couple hours to go you're depleting your glycogen you need to replenish that that's why they have like those um what were those remember power bars yep they had those like power gels that would carry people drink those they have a camelback and they put some of this like glucose solution in the camelback and they'll run and drink that's why they do that um and for bodybuilding if you have a very high volume if you're a power lifter probably not necessary if you're bodybuilding with a high volume training program and you're lifting for 45 minutes or more then obviously it can be helpful to have some i don't think you need a lot um i'm i like having at least 20 up to 40 i don't see the point of having more than 40 grams Personally, ignition has 40 grams in it. I don't like, I don't not like ignition, but I don't personally like using ignition because it's 40 uh, grams of carbs. So it's on the higher end and it's very sugar, sugary. So that would be a better one for an endurance style sport. Or like, let's say a CrossFitter has like a competition and they're doing like back to back events. Like you could be sipping on this all day and it's just helping you. Um, I've had one client in a bodybuilding setting that I've, uh, he wasn't a bodybuilder, but was looking to build muscle and stuff that I had used this because he was a hard gainer. Like, I mean, you just, you got to just pump calories in this motherfucker. So we're like, okay, well give me the higher carb supplement for during the workouts because I just want to keep pumping calories into them. So it can be useful. I like their intraformance. That's what I use every day. It's 24 grams, 24, 25 grams of carbohydrates. It is mainly highly branched cyclic dextrin. And then there's a little bit of fructose, which I actually really like. Um, and there's amino acids in it. I don't know of any other company that has a product that has highly branched cyclodextrin and amino acids in it. Uh, but on top of that, it's even better because they have uh, electrolytes. So the magnesium, potassium, all those things uh-huh. like the salts that actually help you get a pump and recover and not cramp. On top of that, they have the fructose. Um, and there's all been some... The ignition? All ignition? No, ignition is a different one. This is an intraformance. Oh, okay. So okay. this is one I use. Yeah. It's still from first form. Um, but there, there was a research study that showed... Uh, Essentially, our body has multiple glucose transporters. And what that means is we have different pathways that we digest, absorb, and utilize carbohydrates as we take them in. One for glucose, one for fructose. Um, And we can increase how fast and rapidly we digest and break down those carbohydrates by implementing multiple sources. So instead of me having 25 grams of purely glucose, 
I'm going to have 20 grams and then five grams of fructose from fruit. And that's what they did with this. Um, and then when you add sodium into the mix, it actually increases the uptake as well. If you add caffeine, it does it even more so. This doesn't have caffeine. But that's also why a lot of times uh, in, in uh, uh, MMA, so like if you're, uh, I, there's some UFC uh, fighters, I have nutrition coaches that do this too. It's a really good strategy for uh, replenishing weight after doing a weight cut. So if they have to drop a lot of weight to, to make weight and then they have 24 hours to fill back up and, and make sure they can fight one of the strategies you would do is put basically like fructose so like pure fruit juice like pure orange juice for example powdered carb like high branch injection salt and caffeine in one thing and you're going to increase the uptake of that into the muscle cell way faster so you can replenish super quick in the right way which is perfect because tomorrow you got to fight yeah so you want that replenished well um so but is that all liquids uh, i mean you can buy powdered caffeine put salt in it, take some orange juice and then throw the powder of the carbohydrate in there and maybe add some water just so it's not super thick. Yeah. I've seen them do it with like a gallon jug of water Yeah, and then they just add fruit juice, add salt, yeah, yeah. add, yeah. So it's a really good strategy. But for, for people strength training, if you have a high volume program, um, like I said, there is some research to back it up. Uh, I think it can help with recovery. I think it can help with insulin, which is going to fuel more gains uh, for, for many different reasons. Um, and I personally like intraformance. That's my go-to for bodybuilding. If you're an endurance athlete or have hours of training to go, like um, ignition makes sense, just a little bit more sugary, higher. Uh, it's 40 grams of carbs per serving versus 25. Um, but yeah, those are my favorites. So Firstform.com slash Taylor Coaching Method. Go check them out. What is the, the definition or your uh, your understanding of fasted? Uh, going you, going into a workout, com- like no food. So like... No, that's, yeah. that's relative. <laughs> yeah, so like they're... Not it, even for 24 hours? Less than that. But like I, I want to say... There's so many different fasting protocols. I don't mean to be technical, but I'm just wondering. Yeah, yeah. typically it's it's like a 12 hours or more. Okay. So like the lower end of fasting is 12 hours, and then the higher end is obviously 24, <laughs> however long you can go. Yeah. You know? But typically people go into a workout fasted, but somewhere between 12 to 16 hours. 16 if they're doing like intermittent fasting protocol, yeah. right? But 12 would be common. 10 to 12 would be common for the person who just wakes up and trains. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Um, Because to me, like if I wake up and I have an eight, an eight hours – which is not unrealistic. Like, I mean, I think, so if I eat my last meal at nine and then let's say when I wake up at five, let's say I just woke up and trained right away. I would, that's not even close to 12 hours, Yeah, you know, but I would still consider that fasted because I wake up and I haven't eaten in several hours. Um, so to me being like a bro and a bodybuilder and, and really focused on how do I optimize somebody's performance the most as most as possible, as much as possible. Um, I personally think if you have an Aiden in five to six hours, that's fasted to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's a, it's a, it can so be, it can I be would, a little I, bit different. I agree with you, but I'm just, I was wondering like by the book and yeah. you're thinking like 10 to 12. Cause I even think if I ate at noon and then I ended up not eating until my workout at six, I would feel fasted. Facts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I would, uh, I would do way better if I ate also at four. Totally. A couple hours before. So yep. Yeah. That's how I hear I'm you. It. I was just wondering what it actually was considered in yeah. the in the nutrition world. Yeah, I don't even think there is a number. Okay, there's like there's fasting protocols, and it's usually like twelve, sixteen, then twenty. Totally. You know, uh, unless you're doing like some people do multiple day fasts. Damn. Yeah, like once a month you do a forty eight hour fast. Totally. But fuck that. Cool. All right, uh, let's move on. We got a couple more here. We got one coming from Jennifer Holmes. It says, "Do you have any tips for reducing inflammation and weight gain?" For tips reducing inflammation and weight gain, water retention due to uh, training heavy. Currently in a cut, went from upper lower to full f- to four full body days. Scale came uh, to almost a complete uh, halt since I made that switch. Not feeling particularly run down or hungrier. Still measuring and tracking every everything I eat, including the weekends. I know the scale isn't supposed to be everything, but midway through a 12-week cut, it's hard not to feel discouraged. Good thing I love progress, but it still sucks. That's um, a good point. Did she say how many weeks? Uh, 12-week cut? Uh, I mean, but how many, like how long ago did she switch to the full bite when it stopped? Currently in a cut. So she doesn't say how long her weight is plateaued for? Nope. Okay. Midway. Six weeks. You just need to create a bigger deficit. So, like, here's the rule of thumb. Like, do I have any tips for stopping inflammation or water retention from train uh, switching training programs, basically, is what happened with her? No. 
There is no tips for it. It's just time. So if you go from a upper lower to a full body or if you go from even an upper lower to a, the next block. So for me, like, for example, I'm going to consistently do the same split block after block after block probably. But if I go from doing like a heavy dumbbell row to like a heavy T-bar row and it's different or if I just add a new exercise or anything or like I change all the exercises in this new block, that is a novelty stimulus that is going to cause uh, some localized inflammation in the muscle. Not a bad thing. It's part of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's nothing you can do about that. It's a good thing. Like you can't avoid that unless you want to just train really soft. You know what I mean? Like you, that's the only way. Um, but there's no reason to avoid it because it's literally a temporary thing. It's not something that lingers for weeks on end, like one week max. Like you switch programs. Usually it's like a few days of like, I'm super sore, new exercises. There's some inflammation. It's causing some water retention. The scale goes up and then it goes away. It's not this thing that lingers, which is why I say you got to create a bigger deficit. If you're at a plateau for multiple weeks and inside of a fat loss phase, you need to figure out a way to create a new deficit. That's like 90% of the time. That's the answer. If it's not the answer, it's because your body is done dieting, but Six weeks into a cut, your body's not done dieting. I don't care who you are. Like almost anybody can continue progressing through that unless you have something seriously messed up or you you say you've, you're six weeks into it, but you did a 20-week diet and then you took like three weeks off and then you jump back into it. Um, but like realistically, like grand scheme thing, if you're, if you're six weeks into a diet, you just need to create a bigger deficit. Gotcha. Your body's still not retaining water from the new program. Gotcha. That's not a thing. Gotcha. Well, the next question that comes from Brad Trailer is kind of – along the same lines you just kind of um, went over is how often should my muscles be sore after strength training? Mm. So not definitely, you know, into a new program, but in general. Yeah. Um, I believe that, so this is where, so it used to be, there used to be three mechanisms for hypertrophy that we believed were, were the cause of it. Mechanical tension, um, metabolic stress, and muscle damage. Now they kind of say like, well, we do know that mechanical tension and metabolic stress are for sure going to be causing muscle growth. We don't know if muscle damage actually causes muscle growth or if it's just part of the process. If we maximize mechanical tension, which is just um, how much tension do I develop in a muscle, right? And this is why I think people should focus on things like that and effort. And when I hear like, what's the best rep range? I'm like, it depends because if, you know, for like a leg extension, for example, for me, the best rep range is 15 to 20. Yep. I get the biggest stimulus, the best pump, the lowest amount of uh, joint stress. Like, that's just what I feel best with. But if you went on there and you were like, man, I get the most gnarly pumps at 8 to 10, right? Certain exercises are very similar. Like, that would be the best range for, range for you is my point. It's like, if you get all the same things I get at that rep range versus I get them at 15 to 20, then so be it. Yeah. Because um, we're not after a rep range. We're after mechanical tension. We're after that stimulus. So... Yeah, no, I'm just thinking of like different exercises. Like, yeah. if you, it, a common one is you like, can do 15 on a bench press and a, a yeah. leg extension, but so a, a common one for this that is a better description would be a bench press or a squat. Okay, like some people don't like I just, I know people for sure that there's like I just don't bench. Like for me, I don't bench over eight reps. Okay, to, on a barbell, I just don't like yep. I. After 10, my, my shoulders hurt. I don't get a better pump, anything. If I do like a set of five, I get a way more gnarly pump than I do at a, a set heavier, of A heavier. 10. Exactly. Heavier load. Is it because of my muscle fiber distribution? Is it because of my body mechanics? I don't know. We, we, don't, we don't really need to know. We just, you train, you, you know. experience, and then you figure it out, right? Same thing with squats. Some people just, they do better in certain ranges. I don't get a lot out of squats less than five because usually it, I don't get a pump. Usually, I le- it leads to uh, joint stress for me. Now, granted, if I was after strength, I wouldn't be so concerned with the pump. But we're talking about body composition here. Um, so for me, at least eight reps, upwards of twelve reps, like that. That's really like six to twelve is like my sweet spot for the squ- the barbell squat, and then I would say like three to six is my sweet spot for the bench. Um, but what was this guy's question? Uh, just like, how long should they oh, be yeah, sore yeah. for? That's right. So uh, point being with this is like we want to cause some damage. Only because like one thing we know for sure is that if damage is there, which is soreness, so muscle damage causes muscle soreness. That's what it is. If it's there, it means that we are disturbing the muscle. It means that we're creating that mechanical tension. The only way to create mechanical tension is to lift heavy enough or do enough volume and to actually have a mind-muscle connection so you know you're hitting the right muscle group. So it means that you're doing all the things right – 
And as a result of it, you're fucking sore, right? If you're just never sore, it means that you're probably not working hard enough, doing enough, or targeting the muscle properly with the right exercises. So it's still up to debate with research of like, is there something with muscle damage when the damage is muscled? Is it actually causing growth when it fixes itself from being damaged? But what we do know for sure is that you can't do any of the right things without getting sore sometimes. Yeah. So my whole thing is, should you be sore all the time? Definitely not. Because if you're sore all the time, you're probably doing too much. And here's the thing is like, if, if I can't bench heavy on Tuesday because my legs are so sore, then my soreness is too high for me to get enough stimulus on anything else. In the same token, if I get so sore from bench on Tuesday that I can't bench again on Friday because I'm doing an upper lower split, then my body's not going through the full stress and adaptation cycle. I don't have enough time to recover. And during that recovery is when I actually build muscle, right? Totally. From what I did. So you shouldn't be sore for too long. And you also shouldn't be sore all the time. Because if you're sore all the time, you're just, you're just doing too much. Yeah. Um, and that kind of brings me back to the, the whole thing of like, my advice is, is usually you, sh- you should be sore. You should be sore after the lift in the target areas, not in your joints. You should be sore in the muscle of the targeted muscle. And you should be sore probably f- for long enough, but not too long to where it lingers in the next day. So if I did, so like, for example, I did upper body on Monday mm-hmm. and I did push day was yesterday. I was still, I was sore from Monday on Tuesday and I was still a little sore on Wednesday. But by the time Thursday came when I was ready to do my push day, I was no longer sore. Therefore, it did not affect my progress. That's perfect. Week two of the program, same thing's going to happen, just maybe a little bit less. Week three, same thing, but even less. Week four, I'm probably not sore anymore. Um, and or I'm still sore because I've, I've been progressively overloading and now it's time for a deload. If I'm not sore, then I might not have progressed enough in that block and it's time to go to the next block. If I am still sore by week four, it's probably time to do a deload to refresh myself and then start a new block again. So um, is week one because it's a new stimulus or because it's the most volume? Uh, new stimulus. Okay. Yeah. So typically what you want to do, if we really wanted to get nitty gritty with what I think would be the best way to progress or periodize hypertrophy, since it's not just strength periodization is so simple. Hypertrophy periodization is really unknown right now. What I think is probably the best route based on, you know, the work of Brad Schoenfeld, um, seeing what a lot of bodybuilders do and so on and so forth is to have that novelty stimulus, and as it goes away, you are progressing the amount of work you're doing. So like you just said, is it because of the new stimulus or is it because of you're doing the most in week one? It's new stimulus, and therefore you're doing the least. So week one, you would do the lowest amount of total volume or load, but it's a new stimulus, so it is causing that damage and stress. As you get used to that new stimulus or new novelty, soreness would go down. But while soreness is going down because the stimulus is no longer new, you're adding sets or volume, right? So week two, maybe I go from three sets to four sets or I add 10 pounds in the bar. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, I can't go any heavier on this. Okay, add another set. Oh, you can go heavier? Cool, you don't need to add another set because total volume is gonna be there because you added weight. But if you did that, and this is where it gets pretty meticulous, but if you really wanted to focus on hypertrophy of growth, that would probably be the best route. Um, the hard part is that you can go from doing three sets per exercise to six sets per exercise, and you go from being at the gym for an hour to two hours by the end of a block if yeah. you do it that way, which is why I try to just progress through load as much as I can with people to avoid having their schedule be crazy. Yeah. Um, but that would probably be best because then you're basically – you're kind of always just a little bit sore. Yeah. And then by the time you deload, you, you're not sore anymore, but then you start a new program. Totally. Um, so, yeah, I think you should be sore. I think there's a lot of people that say, like, you know, as you get uh, as you get better in the gym, you don't get as sore. Like, you don't, you shouldn't get sore anymore is usually what they say. Like, after a while, you shouldn't get sore anymore. I disagree. I think as you get better in the gym, as you progress in the gym, you get stronger, you do more volume, you get more experienced, it becomes more difficult to get sore because you have to do so much in order to get sore. And there's less exercises that create that novelty stimulus because you've done all the exercises, you know, you have experience. So you should be constantly trying to find a way to get sore if anything. Um, And it might happen less often, but guess what else happens less often when you get better or you've been doing a long time? Growth. Grow, yeah. (laughs) You get more advanced, it's harder to build muscle. So it's like, and that's kind of like, even where I'm at, it's like, damn, like, I have to like really, so like even right now I have been specializing and, and I'm probably going to have to consistently do this. My programs have to, basically I have two, I have two options, train six days a week and spend more time in the gym every single day, split my sessions into two times a day, or 
do five times a day like I like to do, especially in the summer. That's what's actually feasible for work and family balance, but specialize. So like, okay, I'm not going to worry about growing my chest. I'm not going to worry about growing my hamstrings. I'm not going to worry about growing my shoulders. Right now, I'm just going to try to grow my arms and my lats, right? And I'm going to do that for 12 weeks. And then the next block, it's like, okay, now I'm going to focus on my traps and my chest or whatever it may be. And I can progress volume super high on those muscle groups, not everything else. And then I'm not in the gym for fucking ever. Yeah. Um, but are you still going to, not to keep elaborating on, but are you still going to adventure into two times a day with? I've thought about it. It's just, dude, like the, it's this, the, here's my problem. Like if I wasn't scared, so, if I wasn't so obsessed with business, yeah, I would absolutely do it. Yeah. If I could be content, like where it's like, I don't need to grow. Yeah. You know, I don't need to start anything else. Like I, I'm uh, in that other way. Yeah. Not. Like, cause, cause business. I mean, yeah. In, in, you know, the app will launch in November and right now, a lot of what's going on with the app, I'm not really doing anything. It's the developers. So I have a meeting every couple of weeks and I'm like, that sucks. Don't like that. Change this. And then they work on, it, you know, I hope you're also saying, man, I really like that part. Uh, it's really sick. I'm really happy. <laughs> but you got to remember too, like, developers are developers not people who train yeah so they're like look how amazing this is and i'm like yeah but that doesn't really actually make sense yeah uh, with what i do so but once they hand it over to me that's where i'm gonna be super busy with that right and then like we're starting to get into the nitty-gritty of the clothing and i'm super passionate about that so it kind of comes down to one of those things where i hear you if i didn't want to do those two things 100 i'd do two days because i know i would grow and i'd probably freak but i I just love the creative side of business you know so i don't have the time to do it but yeah, so um, that was a really good good question to finish the podcast on. If you guys like this information, remember, we have tons of free content at Um If you were any of the people who really resonated with some of the body image stuff, some of the intuitive eating stuff or the training stuff or anything we talked about that really is just dials down to customized coaching, uh, head over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash online dash coaching. That is in the description as well. We would love to talk to you for free and tell you about our coaching and help you reach your goals. We appreciate you guys listening and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.